Welcome to The Leader's Notebook with Dr. Mark Rutland. Dr. Rutland is a world-renowned leadership expert. He is a New York Times best-selling author, and he has served as the president of two universities. The Leader's Notebook is brought to you by Global Servants. For more information about Global Servants, please visit our website, globalservants.org. Here is your host, Dr. Mark Rutland. I want to read two passages of scripture from the gospel according to Luke, the first chapter, the 26th. I'm going to read a little bit further. I I, uh, was going to only read through the 33rd verse, but I want to read on a little bit further from Luke chapter 1, beginning with verse 26. And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou who art highly favored, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered in her mind what manner of greeting this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. And he shall be great and shall be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Spirit shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth hath also conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For with God nothing shall be impossible. And Mary said, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. I would just like for you, if you will, let me guide you through this sentence. Say it with me. Be it unto me according to thy word. That's Mary's answer to everything unexplainable, unimaginable that God has just said to her. She's not claiming to understand it. She is only, she is only stating her entire submission to it. So say it with me again. Be it unto me according to thy word. Now to Luke chapter two, verses 25 through 35. Now we are some uh, 10 months later in the story. That baby that was prophesied by Gabriel has been born and is now eight days old, and they have been they, his parents have brought him to the temple for circumcision. And we begin with verse 25. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And the same man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, meaning the coming of Hamashiach, the, the coming of the Messiah for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Spirit that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents, that is Mary and Joseph, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, then he took Jesus up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light 
to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. And Simeon blessed them and said unto Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel, and for a sign which shall be spoken against. There is another translation which says, And to raise up a standard which shall cause opposition. Yea, now he is speaking to Mary personally. Yea, a sword shall pierce through thine own soul. Now let's pause right there. Now can you say, be it unto me. It's a little bit harder to say there, isn't it? Be it unto me according to thy word. Let's pray together. Padre glorioso, gracias por la historia de Jesús, el salvador por el todo mundo, el redentor. Gracias por tu gracia. Gracias por tu amor. Gracias por el mensaje de Los Ángeles, de María, a María y a nosotros. Lord, we thank you for the message of the angels to Mary and to us. Lord, we thank you. You are a glorious, wonderful God, full of grace and mercy. Prepare us, O Lord, in this evening by thy word. Be it unto us. Say it with me. Be it unto us according to thy word. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to show you a picture in just a moment. Just stay with me. This is an artist's rendering that we're about to see, painted by a man named Henry Osawa Tanner. And it's an unusual rendering of the encounter, what is called the Annunciation, the encounter between the angel Gabriel and the Virgin Mary. But Gabriel, which means man of God in Hebrew, actually is painted here as a flame of fire, a ministering spirit of fire, as angels are called in Scripture. So look at the screen and look at this unusual painting by Henry Osawa Tanner. And I want you just to note Mary's face. Look at her face for a moment. She is both awestruck, slightly frightened, and yet at the same time, look down at her hands as though they are clasped in prayer and her shoulders slightly bent, her head bowed to the side in an attitude of complete submission. Look at her and imagine the angel saying, Hail to thee! Hail to thee! Thou hast found favor with God Almighty, and you are about to be, you are chosen, and you're about to become the mother of the Messiah of Israel and the light to the Gentile nations. And she says, be it unto me according to thy word. Miraculous beginnings are always fun and exciting. Imagine how that must have felt to that young girl, probably 15, 16 years old. Gabriel only appeared twice in the New Testament and twice in the Old Testament. Both times in the Old Testament were to Daniel. And he spoke of the same basic things that he spoke of to the Virgin Mary. 
revelation and of being chosen, beloved. He says to Daniel, you are beloved of the Lord. So think this is a young virgin girl, a Hebrew girl, a Jewish girl, who knew her scriptures. Now, we don't know all the reasons that God chose Mary, but I don't believe that he chose Mary because she was entirely ignorant of the Bible. She must have known her scriptures. So here is the angel who appears to this, one of the, the Old Testament patriarchs, to Daniel himself, who says to Daniel, I have something great for you to do, and you are beloved of God. And he says to her the same thing. You have something great to do, and you are beloved of God. Think what this must have meant inside of her spirit, how stirred she must have been, how exciting. Wow. I want to I wanna state this categorically as I begin. I believe in miracles. I have experienced miracles. I have seen them. I have witnessed them. I believe in miracles. I don't want anything I say for the rest of the message to sound like I'm equivocating about the miraculous power of God. What did we read tonight? Con Dios, nada es imposible. With God, nothing shall be impossible. So I believe that. Having said that, there are two things that we must remember about miracles. First of all, miracles come with a price. The miraculous interjection of God into a life stirs things up. It changes everything. Imagine what a thrilling moment it would be for the angel Gabriel, the archangel Gabriel, who appeared previous to her only to Daniel to say, Hail to thee, thou highly favored of the Lord. You have been chosen out of all human history to bear the, the Son of God. Wow, think of that. What's the problem? The angel leaves. I know my own sinful heart. I know what I would have said. I appreciate this. This means the world to me. Thank you very much. I just have one thing. Come and tell my dad. <laughs> I'm engaged to a man who has never slept with me. And hey, I'm pregnant, but don't worry. It's God's. Is <laughs> not going to be a message he's going to receive real well. When miracles happen in lives, there is blessing. There is joy. There is there is all of that it brings, the miracle itself, but there's a price that goes with it. The second thing we need to remember about miracles is that there are two times when they come. One is to, to precipitate a divine commission, the miraculous call of God upon a life, the miraculous experience that Isaiah has in chapter 6, where he summons Isaiah into the role and office of a prophet. But the price is there. See, there's always this two-edged sword to a miracle. When God appears on the throne and speaks to Isaiah in chapter 6, he says, I'm going to send you to the nations. Isaiah says, here am I, send me. God says, I receive you, I accept you. I'm going to touch your mouth with coals off of the altar, and I'm going to send you as a prophet. Thank you, Lord. But then God says... Nobody's going to believe you. Their ears are going to be fat. Their heart is going to be 
hard. They're going to be faithless, disobedient, rebellious people. <laughs> it seems like I, Isaiah might have said, here am I, Lord. Send somebody else. <laughs> that, that brings into, into focus this sense of Mary saying, I don't know what this is going to mean in my life. I see that this is going to disrupt everything. This, she's running the risk of being stoned to death. She's got, the, the angel's not going with her through the town square to explain this. This is an extremely expensive miracle to her personally. And yet she says, be it unto me according to thy word. Now, the second thing about miracles is this. First of all, miracles come as a mixed reality in the summons to a divine commission. But then they also come, miracles come at a time of need. I hear people say all the time, why doesn't God send me a miracle? <laughs> now listen to this. If you're praying for a miracle, it's because you have a need that only a miracle can answer. Let me, let me give you an example. I was speaking at a very large men's conference in Kansas some years ago, and I was speaking on healing, and I just related the story of a great healing I had in my own life of malaria. I was in West Africa. It was the second time I had malaria. It was very bad. It was a horrible experience. My head was splitting. It felt like somebody was hitting me in the head with an axe. If you've ever had malaria, it feels like your eyeballs are falling out of your head. Fever shoots through your body. You shake all over. Then all of a sudden, it's gone and back again. It was a horrible experience. And we had no medicine in the country at all. Ghana was closed at that time. Four or five Ghanaian pastors gathered around me and laid hands on me. And the fever broke and I was healed. I was healed just like that. So I told this story at the men's conference. Afterward, I was out in the lobby and shaking hands, talking to people, that kind of thing. And these two men came up. And the one guy kind of, you know, you can tell when somebody says something one way, but he means it another He's kind of jumped me. You know, you, this edge of kind of snarky doubt, you know? He says, how come, how come I've never been healed of malaria? How come, like, like, if it hasn't happened to me, I don't even believe it. How come I've never been healed of malaria? He says, that never, that never happened to me. I've never been healed of malaria. The other guy is kind of, you know, Kansas wheat farmer. He's standing there with his hands in his pocket. He says, well, Bob, could be because it's real hard to get malaria in Kansas. <laughs> well, well, that's the point, you see. That's the point. If you've, if you've had a miracle healing from malaria, it's because first you had malaria. Do you understand what I'm saying? People say, I'd like a financial miracle. Really? Are you sure? <laughs> Because before you get the financial miracle, you have a financial need. Do you understand what I'm saying? So, so be careful about badgering God for a miracle. Because God may say, yes, I can get you in a situation where you need a miracle. The first of Simeon's prophecy, nine months and eight days later, they take, Mary and Joseph take the baby Jesus to the temple for circumcision. And the first of Simeon's prophecy must have sounded a great deal like what Gabriel said. Imagine, 
They walk into the temple, hundreds and hundreds of parents walking in, hundreds of babies. Happens every day, all week. They bring these babies in. It's, it's the law, the people, the seething, the crowd, the building is huge. And all of a sudden, out of the shadows, overcomes this old man. He takes the baby out of their arms and holds him up. And he says, behold, the light of the nations. God told me I would live until Messiah came. Thank you, God. I can depart in peace. Whew. It says the parents were astonished. He hands the baby back to Mary. At that point, it must have felt good, right? And then he says to Mary, and as for you, your very soul will be pierced by a sword. That doesn't sound so nifty, does it? This, this is the, this is the whole issue around the, the supernatural operation of God in our lives in a miraculous moment. The problem with, with miracles, they are great and amazing and wonderful and exciting. The problem is that if we submit ourselves to the God of miracles, we submit ourselves to everything that he wants in our lives. We don't get to cherry-pick miracles. Be it unto me according to thy word, as long as I like it. Doesn't work. It doesn't work. Say, Lord, be it unto me according to thy word, no matter what. Be it unto me according to thy word. Lord, guide me through everything, anything, all of life. I believe that the God of miracles will walk with me, be with me, provide for me. I believe in his supernatural providence. I believe in his abundance. I believe in his presence. I believe in his comfort. I walk in it. I believe in it. I believe in his daily bread. I believe in that. I believe in that. But I know that it doesn't mean that every single moment of my life is going to be splendid and glorious. There are going to be moments in Christmas I had all the married people stand for just a moment because I've got something to say to you. There are going to be moments in Christmas which are just splendid and wonderful and Lanier Islands and skating on the ice and all the rest. And there are going to be moments when Uncle John knocks over the Christmas tree. There are going to be moments when your neighbors that you really don't like and have to pretend to because you're a Christian stay too long. There are going to be moments when everything is just going great and the baby decides that that's the very moment when he has to make a deposit. <laughs> These things happen because of life, reality. There are moments when Christmas just seems magical. There are going to be moments when it's like not. Another reason that I had all the married people stand is because, listen, married people forget that there are going to be some people that wake up on Christmas morning alone. There are going to be single women who say to themselves, I just wish I had somebody to take me skating on Christmas Eve. I would like to go out to eat on Christmas Eve with somebody besides a bunch of other girls who would like somebody to go out with them except for me. There are going to be single guys who say, Lord, I know you're a God of miracle grace. Nothing with you should be impossible. How come I haven't had a date in six years? Sometimes Christmas is magical, miraculous, 
marvelous. And sometimes it's not. Be it unto me according to thy word. How about in those moments? The problem is in clinging to the miraculous moment. That can make us weak. Give us the feeling that we are entitled. Make us unable to persevere. It can even make us disloyal. If God gives me a lemon cookie and a lemon cookie and a lemon cookie, and then this day he doesn't, then he's not God, and I'm out of here. You'd be astonished at the arrogance of some people with regard to God and miracles. God, if you're, if you're really God, then work a miracle for me. Make gold appear on this table. If you're, if you're really God, I mean, really, who do we think we are? You remember in the night of his arrest, Jesus is taken before Herod. And Herod says, bring, bring him in. Bring him in. I want and he says to him, do a trick. Do something. You know, I heard you turn water into wine and heal the sickness. Do, do a trick. Now listen to this. If Jesus had, Herod would have spared his life. All Jesus had to do was walk across the swimming pool. And Herod would have said, this is the greatest act in Israel. We're not killing this guy. What does it mean? If Jesus won't do tricks in order to save his own life in the night of his arrest, why is he obligated to do tricks to prove to you that he's God? Miracles are God's supernatural response to our need beyond our capacity to provide for them ourselves. But if we become entitled, it can make us disloyal. Look, everybody likes the fun, happy, exciting beginning of things. But we don't, there also comes that time of hacking through stuff. I, I, uh, you ever, uh, how many of you have something of a bucket list, something you want to do before you die? Some of you, several, several do. I got this one thing. I, I don't have, I have what I call a negative bucket list. That is things that I hope I never have to do before I die. <laughs> one of those is watch Bridezilla. No, the Lord do so unto me if I sit and watch Bridezilla. I have only seen clips of it, you know, like advertisements that you can't get away from fast enough. You know, they come on. I mean, women who are absolutely in psychotic moments. You know, and you can tell, obviously, you can tell this in passing across the screen. This woman is a size 24 on her thinnest day. And there is no way she's getting into this wedding dress and she's screaming and yelling that it's the bridesmaid's fault that somehow or another they, God, everybody has conspired against her and she's hysterical and screaming and crying and they make all this stuff over this wedding and I'm thinking one thought, am I the only one? If this is the wedding, what will the marriage be? I think they ought to film those girls and force the prospective bridegrooms to watch it and say, all right, is that what you want? Because this is her on her best day. What I'm trying to say is, if we just want life to be one big hysterical wedding production and we never want to get on with the with the 
marriage. Look, sometimes marriage is exciting and wonderful. Every day with you is, baby. <laughs> but for other people, other people. No, some days, some days, you know what? It's not a wonderful, exciting wedding production. Some days it's just getting up and going to work. Some days it's just, it's just washing his dirty clothes. Some days it, it's just doing the stuff that has to be done. Some days it's not a wedding. It's a marriage. But we can get so hooked on the miraculous that we can't get on with the marriage part. We can begin to feel abandoned. Where is God now? God is still there when the angels stop singing. God is still there when all the wise men go home. The ladies are thinking, you give it to all the girls on Bridezilla. Why don't you say something to the men? I just did. I said the angels are still there when all the wise men have gone home. God is still there when the gifts are forgotten. The Hebrew children are an important example for us. They had the miracles, the plagues on Egypt, signs, wonders, the parting of the Red Sea. And when that's all over, what do you got? The march through the desert. Then come the battles. Then come taking the land, driving out the inhabitants, fighting through one war after another. That is where the Hebrews failed the first test. They wanted the miracles and not the march. They wanted the beauty and not the battles. God sends us angels by his will and when he knows that we need them. There's nothing wrong with the miraculous beginning. Hail to thee, thou highly favored of the Lord. That's a wonderful moment. Rejoice in it when it happens. But say to yourself, when the angel departs, the journey begins. Now the hard part starts. Goodbye, Gabriel. Goodbye, singing angels. Goodbye, wise men. Goodbye, adoring shepherds. Now comes the journey. Did you know the gifts that the wise men bring to Mary are never mentioned again? Isn't that interesting? I always wondered, where'd the, where'd the gold go? <laughs> Maybe they spent that on the flight to Egypt. Maybe they had to sell the frankincense and myrrh in order to pay for their airfare to Egypt when they're escaping from Herod, killing all the babies in Bethlehem. Do you, do you see what I'm trying to say? Life is not, life is not pure perfection. Not for anybody. It's mixed. But that's not the bad part. That's, that's the part that says God is with us in this. When the kids all gather around the Christmas tree and you're singing that Christmas carol and the music is playing and you, and you put that star on the top of the Christmas tree and it's perfect and you're eating popcorn and watching It's a Wonderful Life on TV and the kids are all there and it's just so wonderful and you say this this is Christmas. This is Christmas. But when it isn't like that, God is still there. God is still there, still in the midst of it, right in the midst of it. It is 
It is one of the great challenges of character development in the modern church, is that we can begin to depend upon the showy and the miraculous and the fleeting and the fancy, and we can forget that a lot of times it's just slugging it out. I coached, um, before I went into the ministry, I was coached, and I've coached some players that were just exceptionally talented. I coached a quarterback named Roman. He's a, a fantastic, talented kid. One week, he missed practice every day of the week. He missed every practice. Every time he had some kind of excuse. So the game came on Saturday morning, and uh, Roman suiting up like everybody else. I said, Roman, I don't mind you putting your uniform on, but you're not playing today. Have a seat on the bench. You're not, you're not ever going in. I said, if I use all three quarterbacks and I have to use a tailback with a broken leg, you're not going in. He was furious. He was absolutely furious. He was yelling, screaming, accusing me of things, everything like that. Finally, when I was able to calm him down, I said, if you can't work at practice, you don't get to perform in the game. The game is fun. In practice, when some big 300 pound tailback, when some big 300 pound tackle is pounding you into the mud, nobody's applauding. Nobody's cheering. When you're hitting that sled day after day, hour after hour, and the coach is riding on the sled. Oh, how I enjoyed that. I'd get on the sled and ride. Come on, boys, hit it harder. You can do this. I'd just laugh. But nobody's clapping. Nobody's cheering. There's no cheerleaders on the sidelines jumping up and down. Isn't Roman great? That's just all mud, blood, and sweat. But you, you don't shed the blood. You don't wade through the mud. And you don't perspire. You don't get to play. The, one of the great challenges for the modern church is that that mentality has largely given way to a spirit of entitlement that says, I live from miracle to miracle. If God doesn't perform for me the way I want, he's not God. I pray for you that this Christmas will be magical. I pray that you will have blessings. I, I order you in the name of Jesus, to eat too much. <laughs> Fasting is coming. Feasting is now. We will fast in January. Don't think about that now. <laughs> Enjoy thou thyself. There's a time for everything. Feast. Enjoy. Have a great time. And rejoice in Christmas. I just want to say to you, there may come that moment when God says, there's not going to be a miracle today. Today, there's no miracle except the miracle of my presence with you. Listen to what David says in the 23rd Psalm. He says, I will fear no evil, for the Lord is with me. His rod and his staff, they comfort me. Where? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. He doesn't say, I will never walk through the valley of the shadow of death. He says, I may very well walk through the valley of the shadow of death. But he says, the, the miracle I need 
is the presence of God in that with me. I, I want to just put this thought into your mind. Miracles can get you started. Commitment, commitment is what takes you through to the finish line. There was a high school track coach at a tiny little school in Tennessee. Among all the tiny little schools in the United States, the tiniest are in Tennessee. And uh, they were going to a county track meet, and uh, boy, they ran the 5K, was ill and couldn't run. And so he turned to the water boy and he said, I've got to have somebody in this event or we're disqualified. He said, coach, I never, I don't compete in anything. I carry water for the athletes. He said, I need you. He said, coach, there is no chance I can win this. There's not one chance I can win this. He said, I'm not even asking you to win. All I'm asking you to do is finish. The whole track meet went. The trap meet went. They awarded the prizes, and the judges were ready to turn the lights off and empty the stadium. And that coach went to this judge's booth, and he said, leave the lights on. You're not turning those lights off. He said, coach, everybody's leaving. He said, I'm telling you, leave the lights on. And they watched, and way at the end of the stadium, this kid came in. The people started coming back into the stadium he started drifting back in. Word of it went to the parking lot. The people left their cars. They came back in. They were cheering and cheering as he straggled in. Weak, nothing, no kind of an athlete, nothing. Crawling, crawling, people cheering and cheering for him. And finally, he fell across the finish line into his coach's arms. And he said, Coach, I'm sorry. It's the best I could do. And his coach said, all I asked you to do was finish. And you did. And everybody was applauding. Now listen to me. God is not asking you to do anything but just run the race that's set before you. Just walk it out. Just walk it out. Sorry, I didn't mean to get emotional in that story. I don't know. The vision of that kid crawling to the finish line kills me every time. I'm going to quit telling that story. <laughs> All right, I want just to go back to that first picture. I want you to see that picture again. Here's the picture of the Virgin Mary with the angel Gabriel. It's m miraculous, isn't it? Isn't that miraculous? Look at the, the glow. See where the water jug is up there? Look at the wall underneath it. Look how it glows with that radiant. It's, it's mysterious and radiant and glowing, miraculous moment. The flaming fire of the angel Gabriel. Imagine that voice coming out of that fire. Hail to thee. Imagine that. And she says, say it with me. She says, be it unto me according to thy word. Come on, be it unto me according to thy word. Now, 30 years later, she holds the body of her dead son in her arms. Michelangelo depicted it like this. This statue is called the Pietà. If you look at that, we know the resurrection's coming. We know that. But look at that moment. There's that 
little girl now in her 40s, maybe early 50s. She's holding this mangled, tortured body. Look at that. Now, do you see? That's the same girl. It's the same baby. There are moments when Christmas feels miraculous. There are moments when you're just waiting. There's got to be a resurrection coming. Hold on then. Hold on. The Lord, He is God. He is God. You've been listening to The Leader's Notebook with Dr. Mark Rutland. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review today's podcast. You can follow Dr. Rutland on Twitter at Dr. Mark Rutland or visit his website, drmarkrutland.com. Join us next week for another episode of The Leader's Notebook.